We've been going through the Beatitudes. If you've been with us, you've heard how we have done this each week. We go through and read together the Beatitudes, and then we'll focus on one particular one. This week we'll be doing Matthew 5, verse 7. And up here on the screen, hopefully, is Matthew 5, 1 through 12. So we'll read the whole thing together and then go back to verse 7. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him, and he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. And Matthew 5, 7, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. As we look at Matthew 5, 7, and any time we look at the Bible, it is helpful to see the repeated words. And of course, here you can see that mercy is a fairly big theme in this verse. We also have the word blessed, and aside from that, we have the core or with that, we have the core of the passage, blessed and merciful. Pastor Andy has reviewed with us what blessed means, and if I could paraphrase that, uh, bring in a verse from Ephesians 1, we could say that we are blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. And then, again, we would look to the Bible to figure out a definition for merciful. So first I would define it as a summary of God's character. If you remember in Exodus chapter 34, the people have turned away from God and worshipped the golden calf. And after they worship, Moses goes up on the mountain to intercede for them, to plead that God would go before them and stay with them. And he at the same time begs that God would reveal his glory to him. And as he does that, God promises he will. And he puts Moses in the cleft of the rock, covers him with his hand and walks by. And as he walks by so that Moses can know who God is, God describes himself to Moses. So we have this direct description And in it, we hear 
The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. So we have a summary of God's character there. And one of the first things that God focuses on is mercy, merciful and gracious. Now this phrase appears again and again throughout the rest of the Old Testament that the Lord is gracious and merciful or merciful and gracious. Sometimes those two are switched, but a very key part of God's character is his mercy. So first in our definition, we'd have to include that it is a summary of who God is. Merciful is a big part of who God is. Next, as we look to how Jesus spoke of mercy, we find that there is a big part of salvation in God's mercy. As we read in the response, the response of reading earlier, Luke 18, verses 13 and 14 the tax collector prays, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And then later, Jesus summarizes that this man went down to his house justified. And if you don't know, justified means that he was made right with God, that he was saved. And being saved because he prayed for mercy, that he knew that he had nothing to come to God with. He was only a sinner. And he needed God's mercy. So he prayed, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And having done nothing else, he went down to his house justified. So it summarizes God's character. It is also part of his saving work. And then it is part of God's sustaining of his people. There's a interesting and slightly sad story in Genesis 19 where Abraham's nephew Lot is in Sodom and God has decided to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah and he sends down two angels and they come and actually enter into the city and Lot gets them to stay at his house, and they tell Lot what's going to happen, that the entire city is going to burn, and you need to get all your family out. So Lot spends a few minutes trying to get his future sons-in-law to go with him, but they don't believe him. So then he's trying to convince the rest of his family, and he's doing it a little too slow for the angels. And the ev angels eventually tell him to hurry up. And still, Genesis 19, 16 says, but he lingered. So the men, these are the angels, seized him and his wife and his two daughters by the hand, the Lord being merciful to him. And they brought him out and set him outside the city. Lot was lingering a little too long, but God had mercy on him and moved him for, for his own good that he might be saved from the judgment of the city. So God sustained him, even though he didn't know what was good for him, even though he wasn't doing it on God's timetable, the Lord 
took him out because, we're told, he was being merciful to him. Later, as Nehemiah is summarizing how Israel has gone astray and throughout its history left God and continued to deny him and worshipped other gods and made idols for itself, Nehemiah says, Nevertheless, in your great mercies, and the great mercies of God, you did not make an end of them or forsake them, for you are a gracious and merciful God. We can see how God sustains us because of his mercy. And then we see God forgiving by his mercy. Again, as Pastor Joel read earlier, Matthew 8, the master of the servant had mercy on his servant and forgave all his debt. His master to be forgiven, and he was. And he says later that you should have had mercy. God's mercy is part of his forgiveness. And then over Jesus through the Gospels, we see how Jesus acts in mercy and prizes mercy. As people enter the temple and need healing and the Pharisees are getting mad or the that he desires mercy. He wants to heal the person that's come in rather it is more dear to the Lord to forgive and to show mercy to them than it is for them to even sacrifice to him. Of the Lord, we have that it is part of his salvation, part of him sustaining us, part of him forgiving us, and part of him doing good to us throughout our lives and doing good to any of the poor, the fatherless, the widow, and all those who are in need. So now that we know more about how the Lord uses merciful, we now look at this verse. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. So who is the merciful? So if you look in your own heart, you look throughout the Bible, you ask honest people whether they are full of mercy, and you should come down to one answer. You've never seen anyone merciful. In fact, you only know of one who was ever full of mercy that walked this earth, and his name is Jesus Christ. He was the only sinless one. He was the only one that was perfectly merciful. He's the only one that loved people and practiced mercy all his days. So he is the only merciful one. So that would lead us to the question, then, if Jesus is the only merciful one, then who is blessed? Well, if Jesus is the only merciful one, then according to this passage, then Jesus is the only one blessed. 
Now, why was he blessed? And this is the second part of the verse. For they shall receive mercy. Jesus is because he shall receive mercy. But wait, why does Jesus need mercy? Well, let's wait until we answer another question first and then return to that one. If all that, it, if all that we have said so far is true, then why is Jesus preaching here about a group of people? Why does he say, the merciful, and they will, shall receive? Jesus is talking about a group here because Jesus is the second Adam. Now, if you don't know what I mean by that, that's quite all right. We're in Romans 5, we're told that Jesus is the second Adam because he is the one who covers us, who accepts or represents all of those who believe in him. So the first Adam was, represented all of humanity. He was the first man. God gave him the gift of representing everyone who would ever live. And of course, Adam fell, and he fell into sin, and with him, we all fell into sin, being born now in sin, knowing how not to sin, not being able to not sin. So Adam represented all of humanity. And now we are sinners. But Jesus, being in Jesus Christ, leads all those who believe in him into his own salvation. He is the second Adam because he represents all those in his perfection. So because he is merciful, we are considered merciful when we believe in him. Not only considered, declared merciful, but more on that in a little while. So let's go back to our question, why does Jesus need mercy? Jesus does not need mercy for himself, but he was earning mercy for you and I, for all those who believe in him, for all those who are declared right doing everything you should do is being merciful. So Jesus earned mercy for you and I. For there was joy set before him to lead many captives in his victory and deliver the kingdom to his father that we might forever rejoice with him. That we might not have to live out the impossible and be sinless ourselves, but that salvation was still possible by Jesus' perfect life and by his sacrificial death. So then how can you and I be in that group? As you've probably already understood, all those who believe in Jesus are in that group. All of the merciful are all of those who believe in Jesus Christ, are all those who have taken on his mercy. 
So the Father has declared us to be merciful. In fact, the Father has declared that is and has done are ours. In John 16, 15, All that the Father has is mine. Therefore I said that mine and declare it to you. So we are not actually all merciful. We do not have or are not all the things that Jesus was. We are saved. We are not made perfect immediately. But we are declared perfect. We're declared righteous. We're declared just. Just as the man who prayed, have mercy on me, a sinner. The point then is, if we are part of this merciful group, blessed. And in reading through the Beatitudes, we've learned much about what it means. We are blessed as Jesus was blessed. For if we are in him, then we are blessed in the same way. We are blessed the way he was blessed, that we will receive a future kingdom, that that kingdom has started, but it will come to full fruition, to full fullness in the future, when Jesus returns. But we also have to look at how Jesus related to the world because we are blessed in the same way he was blessed. And that does not mean that this world will get along with us very well at all. You remember Jesus was born with nothing. He was poor. He told his disciples he didn't have a place to lay his own head. You remember in Luke 8 how the women who were following him were the ones who supported him? You remember how Judas even stole from him the even what Jesus had, even what had been given for the ministry, and stealing it away from him. If this is what it means to be blessed, then this is the blessing that you have. Same way Jesus was blessed. Not that we'll have riches on this earth, not that our way, not that we will have friends, not that we will be popular, not that we will enjoy the gifts of this world, but that we will have eternal gifts, that Jesus is waiting for us, that we will have the joy that he has, that we will grow in joy, that we will grow in likeness to him that we will grow in love, that we will enjoy the fellowship of the saints, that we will be able to partake of his word and enjoy prayer that is special and sweet. We are blessed the same way Jesus was blessed. And then we will receive mercy, for that is the promise here at the end that they shall receive mercy. And we will receive it when 
Jesus returns. And when we are fully forgiven, when we will be fully perfected, either at our death or when Jesus returns, having no more sin in our lives, fully forgiven, with mercy that covers everything because of Jesus who has paid everything for our punishment. So then, how do we apply this to our lives? As we think through these short verses, we can look at them, but also need to see how we can best apply this verse. believe that Jesus has finished his work and secured all we need for eternal life, even mercy. We also believe that we are blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Whether the world or our own sinful desires agree, we are blessed because we are in Christ We have greater blessings already secured for us in the kingdom of God than anyone could imagine outside of it. So we believe that we are in Christ and therefore merciful. We believe that we are blessed, even right now, already fully blessed because we are in Christ. But next we also hope, for we see our hope there in the same verse that we, being in Christ and being blessed, will receive mercy, and we will receive mercy. We should set all our hope in that time, that there is a future time coming so beautiful and so cleansing and pure and restorative that we can place all our hope that Jesus Christ has made promises throughout these Beatitudes that will all come true, that will all bear fruit, not only now but so much more in the future when he returns. Next we rejoice in verse 12, if you remember and if you're memorizing, these are great things to review because they all connect together. Verse 12, we're told to rejoice and be glad. This is the only time that Jesus tells us to do anything in the Beatitudes. So far, we haven't been told to do anything. The first time he says to do anything, he says, be merciful or, be, or rejoice and be glad. Not even to be merciful, but to rejoice and be glad. Because even in all the persecution, there are our riches in heaven. He points us towards our reward and says, focus in on that reward. It's not going anywhere. You're not going to do anything to abandon it. 
If you believe in Jesus Christ, then he's going to use his sustaining mercy that even if at that time of temptation, you need that mercy to pull you back out of temptation and sin, like Lot was pulled out of that burning, that city that was going to burn. God will use his mercy. So we should rejoice and be glad that these things we will surely receive. Lastly, make sure you're in that group. For if you are not in that group, there is only punishment left for you. You have sinned, you have defamed the glory of God, you have spit in the face of the king who gives you life and breath and everything. You have abandoned the one who loves you more than any other. And you have run away to satisfy your own self. This is where all of us were. This is where we all had turned away from God. But Jesus tells us to come to him, for his burden is light, and he has great mercy for us. So we enter into this group by believing in Jesus, that he is God, that he was born of a virgin, truly man, and truly God. He lived a sinless and merciful life. He died on the cross to take the punishment we deserve for all of our sins. He rose again on the third day to show that he had finished all this good work perfectly. He now sits at the right hand of the Father, still working all things for our good and his glory, waiting for us to join him and shower us with perfect mercy. If that great news doesn't make your heart sore, then you might not be in that group. But God is patient, waiting for you to repent, turn away from your sins, ask his forgiveness, and he will welcome you into his eternal rest. If you believe that news, and it makes your heart ask, what acts of mercy can you do to thank him and praise him to rejoice and be glad in him then you might think of the things that i mentioned at the beginning defining mercy we should be merciful as our heavenly father is merciful as jesus preaches again in luke 6 we can also tell others of the good news of Jesus Christ, who saves sinners. And they need to pray for God's mercy to be justified. We can teach them about the Lord Jesus and how he cleanses us from all unrighteousness. And then encourage your brothers and sisters in Christ by telling them where you see mercy in their lives. 
If we are the merciful, we are growing in mercy. We are becoming more like Jesus Christ because the Holy Spirit is at work in us to will and to work according to his good pleasure. And his good pleasure is mercy. So we should encourage our brothers and sisters, hey, see the, the Holy Spirit is working in you because of these merciful acts that I've seen you doing in how you treat your family, how you treat your friends, how you love your neighbors, how you go to other countries on missions trips to engage the lost, to help them learn about Jesus Christ. Encourage your brothers and sisters in Christ in mercy. And then love your neighbors with mercy. Like Jesus did as he went around and was merciful to those people, healing them, comforting them, helping them, freeing them from demons, praying. In all these many ways, Jesus was merciful. And so we should do to the sick and the weak, the poor, the fatherless, the widow. All are in need of mercy. We can show them the mercy of God by giving for their physical needs as we tell them about the mercy that God has for them, about how Jesus has earned mercy that we and they might have eternal life. You can do even things like finding places where you and your children can serve, for instance, at a homeless shelter or a halfway house or one of the abortion services places that help women who are convinced that abortion is not the right answer. You can show them how they need to have mercy on the unborn. You can show them how you will have mercy on their unborn. How you would accept them, how you would help them. That is just some of the many places that you could wield mercy. And I pray that you would think of more as you leave here because we are the merciful and we are blessed and we will receive abundant mercy.